And here we are. As inexplicable, undefinable, um, illogical, whatever superlative you would like to use to describe the run the New York Rangers are on right now, I would not disagree with you. This is a hockey team constructed around... A handful of players being able to take over games in small situations. And I'm sitting here after they won game seven, six to two in Carolina, the first team to beat Carolina on home ice in this postseason. And we're going to get a lot into the big picture, how the Rangers are going to fare against Tampa. A lot of those kinds of things as we get into today's episode, but I'm very happy, very, very happy to acknowledge I underestimated the ability of the high-end players on this team. The way this roster was constructed, it was centered around the idea of a handful of elite to borderline elite players being able to control small situations within a game. And that handful of guys being the difference between being a first-round exit and a Stanley Cup caliber team. Let's not bullshit here. Anytime you make a conference final, that should be celebrated. We can't As much as I would like to bemoan some of the things that are in existence on this roster, some of the players who are here, some of the contracts those players are signed to, I'll be honest with you. I'm very happy to be wrong about this group right now. Before we get to the main course, and we'll talk about Game 7, we'll talk about the series against Tampa. We'll have a series preview for you guys tomorrow, which is going to be very fun with a recurring guest, which I'm very happy to say. Somebody who was on earlier in the season, one of the Lightning fans that I'm very happy to call myself friends with. But we got to take care of business. Okay, a couple things. Number one, I did say... We were going to be more consistent in the content cycle on Tuesday. And then what happened in Texas happened on Wednesday. And it felt very, very, very stupid to be recording a podcast that sounded life or death about hockey when elementary school children died for no real reason other than absolute government incompetence. So before we start today's show, I just want to say for the love of fucking god, let's grow up as a country. Let's let's make sure kids are able to go to fucking school without the worry of being killed by a mentally unstable person. Let's grow up. Let's take care of what A rational society, what every other rational society on this planet has established, 
for rules for gun ownership. You're allowed to own a gun. Let's be reasonable in the rules we have in who's allowed to own a gun. That's all I'm fucking asking for here. I'm not asking for the moon. You see the other civilized countries on this planet. You see Australia, New Zealand, England, France, Spain, etc. The United States is the only country that has this problem. It is because the gun lobby holds such a powerful sway over who gets elected to what office because the government in the United States is kind of broken. But this is not a political podcast. I'm not going to spend an entire episode bemoaning this. Just if if you are somebody who lives in the United States, be mindful of that when you do decide to vote this November. It sounds very, very stupid to ask you to subscribe to this podcast and leave it a review after talking about such a serious topic, but this is the world those of us who live in sports media and work in sports media reside in. Because we are sports media people, we don't talk about the serious things as much as we probably should. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave the show a review. Please, please, please leave reviews. That's really helpful. It doesn't take you a lot of time. It's very easy to do. Okay. We'll take a beat. We'll play the drop. We'll talk about the Rangers in Game 7 against Carolina. We'll talk about how they might look going forward against Tampa Bay. I don't want to leave too much on the bone because I do have a guest lined up for tomorrow, which is very nice. Okay. I'll see you guys in a second. Okay, here we are. The Rangers won another Game 7 against a team that is arguably a better hockey team. And this is where we get into the conundrum of small samples versus talent and what happens in a best-of-seven series, and that's what makes hockey hockey. I cite this all of the time. It's... A worthwhile point to make anytime you discuss the NHL playoffs, but the team with the better regular season record loses in the NHL playoffs the fo- the most of the four major North American sports. So, of the MLB, the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, the team with the better record loses the most of the time in the NHL. So, We start there. Obviously, Carolina had 116 points in the regular season. They won the Metropolitan Division. The Rangers endured them. And I told you this in my series preview. I told you this on the podcast. I told you this in my blog for Gotham Sports Network. On paper, Carolina's a more well-rounded team. They have a better style that's more conducive to playoff hockey, but... The Rangers had their high-end players make plays at the most important times. Obviously, the biggest key to the Rangers' success in this series and through these playoffs has been Igor Shosturkin. As much as people would like to bemoan Shosturkin's Game 
five in game four against the Penguins. Yeah, he wasn't great in those games, but you realistically can't expect him to win you every single game. And I think that is the most important thing people need to keep in perspective when they're thinking about this Rangers team right now. I know there were some weird things that happened along the way in both of these series, both of them involving Jacob Truba, who we're going to talk about. Don't worry. I I am a conscientious Rangers fan. I understand why people who aren't Ranger fans are tired of Truba. I'm kind of tired of Truba constantly throwing his elbow a little bit too high and in a way that while it may not be dirty in quotes, under the current rules we have in hockey, they're unnecessary, they're dangerous, they're reckless, whatever verbiage you want to use to describe those hits. But in terms of this game, of this Game 7 against Carolina, I think it was very telling that the ESPN broadcast, the first thing they mentioned when they came from Sports Center, Sports Center through the game to Ray Ferraro and Sean McDonough, that Ray Ferraro said, the team that scores first in game seven wins 75% of the time. I thought that was a very telling way to open the broadcast. And, you know, you play those odds, even if you don't score first, you think, okay, even if we're only down one nothing, one nothing's not insurmountable, especially with this Rangers team, if you're particularly familiar with them. They're very good at playing from behind. Carolina takes that early penalty. Ajo, he takes a hooking. The Rangers come out with the power play. The first power play unit, they don't get anything particularly good. They don't have any great looks. Carolina is able to clear the zone a couple times. And that second unit, the second unit we all dread coming out, the Truba, Cop, Vetrano, Lafreniere, the second unit that has given up two shorthanded goals in this series, that unit comes out, and they don't really generate anything either. But with 10 seconds left, our guy, Our Long Beach, Long Island native guy, Adam Fox, jumps over the boards. He recovers that loose puck in that high slot, and he rips one past Ronta, and we're at 1-0. And in that moment, you feel all of the energy in this game change. What makes Carolina such a good team is when they play with a lead. When Carolina plays with a lead... They are able to smother you out of existence. Their defensemen are going to pinch up a little more in the neutral zone. Their forwards are going to be a little bit more aggressive in the offense in their off in their defensive zone, your offensive zone, trying to clear the puck out. When Carolina is pressing you in all three zones, that is when their style of play is going to begin to wear away on you. The thing about that style of play. And the thing about constructing your roster the way Carolina constructed their roster is they're relying on their depth to outlast your top-end talent. Because let's not bullshit. When we look at the Rangers against Carolina and the high-end players, when we talk about Svechnikov, we talk about Ajo, Zbigniewicz and Panarin are as good, if not better, than Ajo and Svechnikov. 
Carolina's got Vinny Trocek. They've got Jordan Stahl. Carolina's got plenty of guys. But the thing is, when you assemble a roster on greater than the sum of its parts, when you say, we're going to outlast you with our depth, we're going to work hard for our goals, we're going to make your offense more difficult, that is where you can get into trouble, especially when you're playing a goalie as good as Shesterkin. So you think about this series. You can kind of throw Game 5 in. You can throw Game 5 out because Carolina smoked the Rangers. You think about Game 1, Game 2 in Carolina, you'd say the Rangers played well enough to keep those games close. Carolina won both of those. Game 3, Game 4, the Rangers won both of those at the Garden. Game 5, that's the game we're not really counting because it kind of... it. It was out of character. The Rangers kind of got boat raced. Carolina played really well. Game six of the Garden, Rangers controlled it more or less the entire way. They took an early lead in in the first period. They got up two goals early. They were able to wear away at Carolina. Tonight, game seven, as I'm recording this, the Rangers scored that first goal, that first Adam Fox goal on the power play. That kind of established an okay yeah, we're ready for this moment. That goal, he recovers that loose puck skating in from the high slot. He took that shot from about halfway down the right circle, ripped it past Freddie Anderson, gave the Rangers that one nothing lead. That is the kind of momentum swing this group needed. And I think that's something we really need to talk about when we talk about this Rangers team is how much the intangible matters to this group. This is a group that needs those momentum swings to break their way to have the confidence to to play through whatever might happen the rest of the way. The big take. This is something I've been working on based on conversations I've had with a couple of my friends who are invested in hockey. You guys remember how The Departed won Best Picture for that Oscar, Scorsese finally won Best Picture in 2006. You got Everybody remembers that? That's this Rangers team. You would not tell another NHL GM to emulate the roster the Rangers have constructed centered around a defenseman who only wanted to play for your team, a defenseman you got as a throw-in on another trade, a goaltender that took seven years to come over from Russia, a power play that operates at 25%. I mean, unless you have one of like the 10 best players in the league and then like two of the 25 best players in the league, you can't really tell your GM to do that. And then you're going to have a goalie who's going to save 93, 94% of the scoring chances against him. You can't tell another GM to do that. I mean, the Rangers are a perfect storm of situation. And that's kind of what The Departed was, one one best picture. The other teams, the other movies that The Departed and The Rangers were up against, that's not really something you can replicate. And I think that's a really interesting thread to tug upon as somebody who tries to think about hockey as rationally as I do, you can't tell another GM. You see what the Rangers just did? 
try and do a version of that. Because you can't tell a goalie. You can't even, like, okay. In theory, if you were Julian Breezebaugh and you were the GM of the Tampa Bay Lightning and you wanted to center your entire team around having the best goalie in the league in Andre Vasilevsky, who I, as good as the season Shesterkin just had, I still think Vasilevsky has had the sample size to prove to you that he's probably the better goalie. I don't think as an owner, a team president, you can tell your GM, okay, we have the best goalie in the league. That's enough for us to win. Because that's basically what the Rangers just did for two straight rounds. And I know Shesterkin wasn't great. In the Pittsburgh series until Game 6, Game 6, Game 7, he kind of shut the door. And then he was outstanding the entire Carolina series. That's not a strategy to win more often than not. And that's what I think makes the Rangers such an interesting case study is the positions the Rangers have these high-end players out. You think about Adam Fox as the first pair rate D. You think about Zbigniewicz and Kreider on the power play. You think about Panarin, who basically gave the Rangers nothing at 5-on-5, five five, but he was still good enough on the power play that they were able to endure his inability to score a 5-on-5. Five five. I mean, the vast majority of people who are invested in hockey statistics when you think about things like scoring chances, expected goals, high-danger chances, the way the Rangers play isn't conducive to success along most of the conventional metrics, but... What made the Rangers able to play well, even though they don't fare well under most of the conventional metrics, is their high-end players. You think about the goal Kreider scores on the power play, the second goal, the one that makes it 2-0, the redirect from the pass from Zbigniewicz. That's when you get into situations where that's not something expected goals is going to be able to account for. That's not something that scoring chances is going to be able to account for. So look, I do think it is worth mentioning. The Rangers have had some fortuitous luck along their way. That is part of the way the hockey playoffs work. They played a backup goalie in six of the seven games against Pittsburgh, and they played a backup goalie in all seven of the games they played against Carolina. I thought Auntie Ranta was pretty good in this series until game six. Game six, game seven, not outstanding. And you can understand he's never started 11, 12 straight games Ever in his career before. And this is somebody in his early 30s. Antiranta is somebody who's been around the league a long time. Played with the Blackhawks, the Rangers, Arizona, Carolina. This is somebody who's played a long time in this league. And even then, you think about the workload. What it takes to play goalie at a high level. And I thought Ranta was outstanding through five games in this series. And I'll be honest with you. Before this series, I thought Carolina would win. I wrote it in my series preview. I picked Carolina to win in seven games. I thought Carolina's depth would be enough to outlast the Rangers. And 
I thought Carolina's depth played pretty well in this series. The thing is, the Rangers' high-end players outplayed Carolina's high-end players. And I think that is the real takeaway you can have as somebody who thinks critically about hockey. You need a handful. You need four to five guys who can reach that take-over-the-game level. And for the Rangers... They have Shesterkin, who's been the best goalie in the league this entire season. They have Adam Fox, who's one of the five, I'd say five best defensemen in the league, depending on the night. I mean, they're going to play the Lightning, who have Victor Hedman. The Predators and Roman Yossi got eliminated, and Kale McCarr and the Avalanche are very much still alive in the West. But other than those three, you'd say maybe Charlie McAvoy of the Boston Bruins. Those are probably the five best defensemen in the league. The Rangers got one of the five best D, check. They've got Shesterkin, who's one of the three best goalies in the league, check. That two. You throw in Kreider, who's probably, if not definitely, the best net front presence in the sport. You're at three. You throw in Panarin, who is definitely playing hurt. Let, let's not bullshit. Let's not mince words. Panarin's not using both of his hands on most of his passes. He's not getting all of the velocity on his passes that he probably should have. He's not as crisp as he was in the regular season. Panarin still commands respect, at least on the power play. And it's complicated, okay? For the most part, you would say conventional wisdom is... You can't win with just goaltending and the power play. The Rangers right now are defying conventional wisdom because the other team in every single playoff game other than game one of the Carolina series has had more scoring chances against them than the Rangers have had against them. So you think about that in a vacuum, that you're trying to understand... How you win this time of year. Number one, the most important thing, you need your high-end players to play like high-end players. And the Rangers have had that for the most part. The first five games of the Pittsburgh series, I was very much complaining about Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider. They were both very good in Game 6 and Game 7. That, that counts for something. In this series... I thought the Rangers really played about as well as they could based on the talent limitations they had. We all understand that fourth line is out there for a reason they're not able to pursue. I mean, they played the fourth line in Game 7 of Reeves, Goudreau, and Tyler Mott. And I think everybody who's rational in their understanding of hockey realizes that group's not going to possess the puck a lot. They're not going to whip it around. They're not going to sustain a lot of offensive zone time. And they're foolishly or not going to be summoned upon to suppress scoring chances against. But it worked. That's the thing that makes hockey so frustrating in comparison to, say, American football the NBA, the MLB, where you can consciously make bad decisions and it still works for you. I, I'll i be 
honest with you. I was very skeptical of Gerard Gallant, the Rangers coach's decisions on matchups for the first six games of this series. He always does the, I'm confident in all four of my lines. I don't care who they play against spiel. And that's a nice thought. Like, as a coach, I understand issuing that message publicly on the idea of inspiring confidence upon your group. Let's not bullshit here. If you're putting Goudreau, Reeves, and Tyler Mott out there against Svechnikov, Aho, and whoever, that's a tough draw for that group. Those guys aren't as fast. They're not as hockey IQ adept at reading where the play is going. I understand why Gallant wants to play matchups that way. It's not working in a conventional sense. Sure, it's working because Shesterkin is making the save. But if every time the fourth line is out there, the other team has 45 seconds of zone time, that's not good. You don't want that. That has been the source of most of my complaints about the Rangers during the course of this season into the playoffs is... They are getting rewarded for bad decisions, and long-term, that will lead to bad decisions in terms of decision-making. Because bad ideas are working out for them, they're not going to reevaluate some of the talent they have, change what they're trying to do schematically, and that's concerning. I don't want to get too deep into talking about how they match up against Tampa because I actually do have a guest lined up for tomorrow. The great Shelbs DeMook, who was on back in, I think, February to talk about the Lightning, looking at going back to back to back. Shelby's a very smart hockey fan. She's one of the very, very good friends I've made over the course of working on this podcast. But the last thing I want to touch on before I get everyone out of here, and it's important I do this. It really is. I'm not going to complain. The Rangers have dramatically overachieved expectations this year. Shesterkin was the best goalie in the league. Shesterkin is 100% the Hart Trophy winner to me. I know Austin Matthews is going to win it because the Toronto-centric hockey media does not care. They're going to say he scored the most goals on the team that had the second-best record in their division and that a goalie can't win it because this and that. Igor Shosturkin should have won the Hart Trophy this year. If the Rangers had league-average goaltending, they would not have even made the playoffs, and the Rangers are in the fucking Eastern Conference Finals. How good Igor Shosturkin is. Let's take a minute to bask in the greatness that is Igor Shosturkin in net. That is something you cannot teach. That is something you cannot replicate. Shosturkin is a special player between the pipes. And for Everyone else who's going to try and bitch and moan about how the Rangers haven't played a starting goalie other than the one game they've got of Tristan Yari in Game 7 against Pittsburgh. 
why aren't you complaining about Jordan Binnington starting five of the seven games in the series against the Avalanche? That's all I'm going to say. So, let's put it like this. The Rangers high-end players are making plays at the most opportune times. They're getting goals from Zabinijad, from Kreider, in these key moments. They're playing a Tampa Bay team that's trying to go back to back to back, and we'll unpeel that a little bit deeper. We'll, uh, we'll really unpack the matchup against Tampa Bay to, on tomorrow's show. But for all intents and purposes... It's hard to categorize this Rangers season as anything other than a success. This group wasn't expected to get this far this year. I thought they were going to lose to Pittsburgh in Game 7. I thought they were going to lose to Carolina tonight as I am speaking to you. They are finding a way... With their high-end players. And as I'm recording this episode, SportsCenter just showed the step-on goal. They're showing all of the Rangers Game 7 wins over the last, I think, 30-something years. Because they showed goals from 1994. But, let's be honest. Nobody expected it from this group. This group has overachieved this year. And I wrote about it. I talked about it on this podcast. This is kind of it for the way the roster is constructed right now because they're going to have to replace or supplement three players in the top six because Vetrano, Kopp, and Strom are all unrestricted free agents. And three players in your top six is kind of hard to replace. So going for broke... It's kind of where the Rangers are at right now. And look, they're probably going to be underdogs against Tampa by most of the sports books. I'd expect most of the experts to pick Tampa based on experience, based on talent. We don't know where Braden Point is at in his recovery from the injury he suffered in that series against Florida. The last thing I want to touch on before I get everybody out of here on today's Tuesday episode and then I'll do some wrap up things but but big picture like just hockey perspective wise I need Truba to stop throwing these hits man I understand that's part of his game the edge the ruggedness the I'm gonna impose my will on this game the hit he threw on Seth Jarvis it's not good I understand that by the rules the NHL operates under, it is a clean hit. He didn't leave his feet. He didn't throw an elbow out. Shoulder to head is a technically clean hit under the rules we have in today's NHL. I don't want it to be. I said this in the replies of somebody who tweeted something about Truba. I want to see the best players in the NHL play hockey. Game 7 was worse because Seth Jarvis only played half a period. I would rather see Seth Jarvis out there. 
game in the first series against Pittsburgh, I would rather see Sidney Crosby out there than him not out there. I do not want injuries to be an excuse. I want hockey to be the best teams competing against each other. As I'm recording this, the series odds are Tampa Bay minus 175, the Rangers plus 155 on Caesar Sportsbook. That's, I'd say that's reasonable. I would say Tampa Bay is a reasonable favorite. I wouldn't say slight. I would say reasonable favorite. I think Tampa really might do the back-to-back-to-back, which is fucking insane to talk about. And we'll talk about that more tomorrow when we have a guest on for me to bounce ideas off of. But the last thing I want to touch on, and I know I've said that two separate times in the 30-something minutes we've been doing today's show, Motorsports had a really good Sunday. I'm done with hockey for now. Well, we'll talk more hockey tomorrow with Shelbs Demook. The series that had their races on Sunday, Memorial Day, is always the Monaco, Indy 500, Coca-Cola 600. All three races were very enjoyable as a viewer. And I can admit, I didn't get to watch Monaco Live. I had to wait till Monday till I got home. I went to a Memorial Day weekend party Saturday night. That was also a Game 6 watch party. And, you know, you you all understand as listeners. But you, you get what I'm saying here. I thought Monaco was a pretty interesting race. The strategy came into play. That was also something that I really wish we could explore more in Formula One because strategy only really matters when the weather conditions don't permit. And that was the case on Sunday. I would like to say I was happy with the way the NASCAR race ended at Charlotte for the Coke 600. But it sucks when it's a caution fest like that and it's the last car standing type deal. I enjoyed the race. Don't get me wrong. I got to watch the last like 20 to 30 laps. I wish I could have watched more to be honest, but again, I was coming back from the Met game. I went to Sunday night baseball on Sunday. The Mets won. Shout out Jake Plummer. That's my fucking guy now. Okay. Oh, and yeah, I'm not an IndyCar guy. I'll be, I'll just be flat honest with you, but the nature of the Indy 500, the spectacle, the aura of the importance around it, that all made it compelling enough for me to watch. And I watched the last 20 laps, watching Erickson win. I felt bad for Jimmy Johnson as a NASCAR guy. Like, of the three series, I will fully admit I'm still a NASCAR guy of the three of NASCAR F1 and IndyCar, I find NASCAR the most interesting, to be honest with you, but I felt bad for Jimmy Johnson. That that wreck, he got the curb, he hit the wall, caused a red flag, they had six laps, and then by the time the red flag was over, I think it was three laps, something like that. Okay, you get what I'm saying. Okay, we will be back tomorrow. We've got a guest lined up. The Rangers really fucking won two playoff series with like seven good hockey players out of 18. That is something to be proud of. And yes, you just heard me clap. And we kind of glossed over the kid line, but we'll talk about that a little bit more in depth tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I'll see you guys tomorrow.